0: Uh, Bow our heads. Uh, Father in heaven, we do come humbly before you to give you honor, to give you praise, and to give you glory. And Lord, we ask that your words would be spoken today. For Lord, it's your words that they are truth and they are life. And so Lord, I ask that I would step aside and I would simply be your willing minister uh, to herald the message of the cross, that Jesus Christ has come not to destroy our lives, but to save and that he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. Amen. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word, that it is true and it is holy and it is alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And we pray, Lord, we open our hearts to you today. And as the psalmist said, Lord, we pray that if we hear your voice today, we harden not our hearts, but that we will be open to what you have to say to us. Lord, bless those who are on their way, those who are watching. And we just pray, O oh Lord, that your will will be done and that today would be the day of salvation. We love you, Lord. We've come to seek your face. In Jesus' holy name we pray. And the saint said, amen. amen. Open up your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. That is in the Old Testament, book of Proverbs. It's been said, a proverb of a day, keep the foolishness away. So I would hope that you guys stay in the book. Amen. In the book. It's good stuff. Good stuff. If hey, your first time here, as you guys know, we don't have church membership. You show up. You're part of the family. I didn't do announcements, so I couldn't do my first time or long timer. you know, I couldn't do that today. But you guys know that it's there. You guys know it's there. We love you guys. <laughs> it's good stuff. Good stuff. Amen. So the book of Proverbs, chapter one, uh, written by, mostly by who? Scholars? Solomon. Solomon. King Solomon. And King Solomon was mainly known for his w- wisdom, although he didn't always use it, and he kind of took the whiz out of dumb and became dumb. That's why we have Ecclesiastes, right? <laughs> that was in the spot, I didn't plan that one. <laughs> right, amen. So uh, we get that in First Kings, uh, Solomon was, was actually known as one of the wisest men in all of scripture, next to Jesus, of course. You know, Jesus came on the scene, he says, behold, a wiser than Solomon is here. So Solomon was that guy for wisdom. See, wisdom can be explained as knowing, understanding and applying heavenly principles for all of our earthly living. And what it does, it equips us to make godly choices, not not just at the right time, but at the godly time. And that's why we need godly wisdom. And those choices are for every area of our lives. See, essentially, it is seeing the world through God's lenses and then applying a biblical perspective to every single area of our lives, relationship with God, relationship with fellow man. And that's how everything ties in together. Now, essentially, Proverbs, um, the word is actually a compound word. It means to rule or to govern. And so it's essentially a sayings that we use to govern our lives. And all of us have some type of proverb that we live by. But this particular proverb is for holy things, as I like to say. And what helps me understand it is essentially like an owner's manual for life. We know that the whole, the whole council of God, 66 books, right, is basic instructions before leaving earth, as one would say. This particular book on its own uh, is, is in itself specifically for godly living in everyday life that we have. See, what an owner man, owner's manual does, it explains what needs to be done to avoid serious problems. However, it does not guarantee that nothing will go wrong but it simply prepares us for it when it does go wrong, right? Amen? So the main theme of the book of Proverbs is wisdom versus folly, righteousness versus wickedness, diligence versus laziness. Uh Uh-oh, right? However, one cannot attain wisdom without this very key element called the fear of the Lord. I hope we know about that a little bit. For all believers in here. Fear of the Lord. Scripture says, Proverbs 8.13, for you note-takers. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance, and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Psalm 111.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. And there's many more, and I'll say one more, which I love. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Proverbs 4, 7 says that wisdom is the principal thing. But get wisdom and all you're getting. Get an understanding. Saints, we cannot have an understanding without the fear of the Lord. I like to sum up the fear of the Lord as a reverential submission to the Lord that leads to a life of love, worship, and obedience to God. However, you can only get the fear of the Lord by being born again. Amen? Scripture makes it very clear that the world has no fear of God. That's why we see what we see when we see what we see, right? Because there's no fear of God. They don't know him. If you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us an appetite for holy things and for holy living. See, the fear of the Lord is not being afraid of Godzilla and running. That's not what the fear of the Lord is, right? However, if you're not saved, that that type of fear should come, right? If you're saved, the fear of the Lord is not that. The fear of the Lord essentially is being afraid of disappointing, displeasing, or dishonoring the Lord. The heart should say, I don't want to do anything that is going to dishonor my God, like Joseph. How can I sin and do this wickedness before my God? That is the fear of the Lord. For you know, take it, I love what Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 9. He says, whether present or absent, may we make it our aim to be well-pleasing unto him. That's good stuff. I like that. And so maybe we can make that a prescription in our lives. A growing hatred and sin for those who fear the Lord. We hate evil. So that's just a quick background of Proverbs. A lot in there, but I didn't want to overwhelm you guys. So let's get into the text. Verse 1. On your outline, point number one, the purpose of Proverbs, that's the title of the message, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. No fear of the Lord, you have no knowledge, no wisdom, and no understanding. You take the whiz out of dumb, and you're just dumb, all right? It just is what it is. Get us godly wisdom now, okay? But if you don't have that, you're just dumb. It's not, it's not, you're not going to have a good life. So the purpose of Proverbs, verse number one, here's what it says. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. An immediate observation, which I like, is that wisdom is associated with the messianic reign of the King David. You guys know that Jesus Christ came from the tribe of Judah and the, king of, the king, kingdom line of David, King David. Well, we know that that line, Scripture says over and over through King David that there was going to be one who's going to reign in the throne forever. And often in Proverbs, what, what, the, what the proverb does King Solomon, Asaph, and those who are responsible for writing the Proverbs, they personify ideas as people. So they have wisdom is disguised as Jesus. All throughout Scripture, Jesus was the wisdom in the beginning of the world that founded all of these things. And of course, Satan is folly. You don't follow Satan. You don't follow lady folly. That's Satan. Okay? So when you read Proverbs, you're going to see these um, analogies, and it's really pointing to the reality of Jesus and the reality of Satan and our battleground that we have here on earth between good and evil. And so immediately it applies it to his reign. 1 Kings 4.32, we see that Solomon spoke 3,000 Proverbs and his songs were of 1,005. In Solomon's early years, he was known for his wisdom that he got directly from the Lord. If you guys remember the story, God came to him and said, look, Solomon, ask anything, anything. And some of you guys are thinking, if I had anything, I would ask for it. Solomon did not do that. He said, ask anything, anything of the Lord. And Solomon said, I just want a wisdom to govern your people, to govern your people. That's it. And then God gave him wisdom more than any other king after him and before him. And he gave him riches and all those other things. And so in the beginning, he was known for his wisdom. He was excellent at giving wisdom to others, but he failed miserably at applying wisdom to himself. So I, I like to think about it like this. If wisdom was a food, Solomon was the best cook. He was serving up the best sirloin, the, the, the filet mignon. He was serving them up righteously, and people were eating it up that even the queen of the South came down to get the wisdom, that filet mignon from Solomon. But when it came for Solomon to eat his own cooking, he did not do that. He went to some week old McDonald's fries, Right? <laughs> And that's what he was grubbing on, and it did not make sense that he had all this wisdom from the Lord, and he did not eat it himself. Saints, we do the same thing, is we're really, really good at giving hearty counsel, but yet we struggle to follow it in our own lives. It was once said to me that a wise person not only learns from their own mistakes, but the mistakes of others. I would like to learn more from others. I don't want to learn on my own, right? And so we can learn from Solomon that he ended up failing miserably to the point where he set up 700 altars to pagan, pagan gods. The king of Israel who had all the wisdom and then fell and did everything that God commanded a king not to do. Don't multiply wise, multiply 700. Don't go down and multiply horses he multiply horses. Don't go down to Egypt and get gold. He did all three and to the destruction. And so hopefully maybe we can learn from that See, one and far, far, there's been said two ways of learning the emptiness of this world and the true character of sin. It's been said that there's one is going to be the far most frequent path traveled by most of us, is to taste the full bitterness of departure from God. This is the path Solomon took, and he was left empty. Go to Ecclesiastes if you want to find out. Solomon found out that it was all vanity of vanity, says the preacher, All the rivers run into the ocean, and the sea is not full, and the eyes of man are never, ever satisfied. Or saints, we can learn the right way, which is to learn in his presence, accepting his word, cherishing it, esteeming it high, and thus embracing the psalmist in 1714 where he says, concerning the works of men, by your word of your lips, I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. And one of my personal favorites, Psalm 119, 104, it is through your precepts that I gain understanding, and therefore I hate every false way. This is directly from the word of God. That's where true wisdom comes from. And so we see that the purpose, one, is Solomon wrote them, and he says, this is why. Verse number two, he says, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. And when he says to know, that word means to distinguish by personal experience. How much time do we honestly spend in the Word of God? We would like to spend more time seeking the Word of God from others than doing it for ourselves. You know, I heard a pastor a few years ago, and he had a pastor who was in a third world country, and he was on the phone with them, and he said, and he was really emotional, And he said, I I just don't understand that you people in America is that I don't get it. Is that you guys always wait for Moses to come down the mountain and give you the word of God. And you have no idea that you yourself can go to the mountain and get it from him yourself. And many of us are still depending on Moses to give us the manna that God freely offers us in his presence. And I thought that really, really stuck with me. We do that a lot. But I encourage you guys to be like the psalmist to gain understanding by the Lord's precepts and spending time in his word. So he says to know distinguished by experience, wisdom and instruction. Of course, wisdom is used all throughout scripture, but particularly in this book of Proverbs, it's used six different ways. So the word for wisdom here refers to one's ability to make the right choices at the opportune times, skillful. And so Proverbs essentially is like a tool belt to make righteous choices to live a holy life before God and before man. And this one, this word used here, wisdom, is the skill to be able to make right decisions. Now, let's be honest. Some of us, I know everyone in here has somebody, or you might be that somebody, they just don't make good decisions. Over and over and over, you're like, what in the world? How? I don't get it. We look at the Israelites. You guys saw 10 mighty plagues. God lifted you out with a mighty hand. And I don't know the timeline. It could have been 40 days, 40 hours, 40 months. They said, we want to go back to Egypt. They have cucumbers. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Cucumbers. You forgot the beatings. You forgot the bondage. You forgot you couldn't worship your God in Egypt. And so some people, many people, just don't have skills to make right decisions. And as I said before, a proverb a day keeps the foolishness away. (laughs) An example I like, if a smoke alarm goes off, do you automatically pick up and call 911? No, no. no. That would be unwise. You take the whiz out of dumb and be dumb, right? What do you do? You examine it. Okay, is there smoke? Is there, is there fire? What's going on, right? You don't automatically do that. That's wisdom, right? That's, that's using the right knowledge the right way. I love Joseph. He used wisdom. He ran. Potiphar's wife, I'm out. See ya, never, Right? But then I look at the opposite, King David. His, his partner, Ken, said, hey, uh, yo, that's, that's Uriah's wife. What are you doing? Bring her to me. That's dumb, right? That's not wise. But you see, two godly men make two different decisions. One exercised wisdom, one simply ignored it, and to his destruction, right? So may we when we're faced with a choice that we have, we're going to have various emotions, which is natural. But our emotions, saints, they're here simply as what I like to call an alarm system. They let us know that something is going on. But we don't automatically panic when our emotions go off. We should pray and seek wisdom from the Lord. I like to tell people, and it encourages me, is that if you pray too much, you can't panic. But if you panic too much, you can't pray, Right? And so we need to keep our composure. God is still on the throne. He hasn't moved locations or addresses, right? Last time I checked. But we need to use godly wisdom. So Solomon says, look, this I'm writing these things for you so that you can have skill to make the right decision to please the Lord in all that you do. When he says instruction, that means to teach by discipline or chastenment. We don't like that one. Chastenment? No, no, no. But guess what? The Bible says the purpose of chastenment is training in righteousness, Hebrews 12. But we don't like it, but the Bible says whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. So he says it's not only for skill, but also for discipline. It's been said that only a disciplined mind can see a situation from Jesus' lenses and then make a godly choice to honor the Lord. An example, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It must have been at least three million people out there when that music went. And they all, once the music played, it was a pachanga, and they all bowed in worship. Those three men stuck out like a sore thumb. And they were the only ones. And they say, yeah, we're not bowing. That's wisdom. That's skill. I know who I am. I know in whom I believed. And you're not him. And I'm not bowing. No matter what the consequence And I love those examples that we can have in Scripture. This comes from a commitment, saints, repetition and understanding the value and the hunger and thirst for the Word of God. See, this is how iron sharpens iron. As you guys know, 2 Timothy 3.16, it says all Scripture is breathed out of the mouth of God, and it's profitable, all of it, for doctrine, that's what's right, for reproof, that's what's not right for correction. That's how to get right. And for instructions in righteousness, that's how you stay right. And that's all within the word of God. And that's where you and I need to live. And that's what Solomon is saying he's given us here. When he says understanding, that means discernment. Some of us struggle with discernment. Bad. And a lot of times we struggle with discernment with dating. Well, I, I believe in courtship to marriage, but a lot of us think we can save everybody. Reminder only Jesus saves. There's a reason that the Apostle Paul, God gave him infinite wisdom to not be unequally yoked believer with non-believer. There's a reason for that. You don't. You can pray for them, but Paul says don't yoke up with them, right? The Bible gives us the spirit of discernment, but the question is, are you listening? Whew. Amen to that. Drink time. So to make one skillful in making godly choices, be trained through discipline and grow in discernment. Verse 3, here's what he says. To receive instruction of wisdom, judgment, I'm sorry, justice, judgment, and equity. Instruction of wisdom means learning through the trials of others and oneself. I can learn from King David. I don't have to be King David, right? We can learn from others, but we don't have to be others, When it says justice, that means right behavior, holy conduct. When it says judgment, that means decisions, act of deciding a case. Guess what? Judgment is not a curse word. The Bible tells us that we are to judge righteous judgment. When I always, when people say, you don't judge, I don't want to judge, I don't want to judge. The Bible says to judge. But rightfully, you make a judge, you guys are making a judgment right now. You're sitting and you're remaining here as I talk. That's a judgment. You're saying what I'm saying is worthy of sitting down or you just don't want to be embarrassed to walk out, right? (laughs) But you made a judgment. You made a judgment. And judgment is simply distinguishing between right and wrong. And the standard should always be the word of God. When he says equity, it means principles, moral integrity. Job was blameless. He had equity. See, what happens is true success is not what feels right, but what the Bible says says is right. See, saints, we all want to be winners. We don't want to be losers. We all want to be what we call successful. We want to do what is right, and we want to do it well to the glory of God. Yet we have a blueprint from the Lord, not our opinions or our feelings. That's why I love so much God's Word, and Proverbs probably one of the, my most read books because I need it daily. A Mormon cult leader by the name of Joseph Smith. You guys heard that name before? Here's what he said. He said, the Book of Mormon is one of the most correctly translated books in the universe. And that a man can grow closer to God by obeying its precepts than any other book on earth. That bold. Uh, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will no means pass away. Uh, wisdom would tell me to listen to Joseph or Jesus. I'll take Jesus for eternal life, please. Thank you for playing. We're not doing that. But there's so many people where they go off of what they feel. I thought I had a revelation. I thought I had this. Well, the question I would like to ask is, where are you testing your revelation? Solomon, Jesus, Apostle Paul would all say that the standard of testing is all God's word. And affirmed by the spirit of God. You guys want true success? Joshua 1.8 gives it to us. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your ways prosperous. And then you will have great success. I love that. I love that. Verse 4. Still going on to the purpose of the Proverbs. To give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. Prudence means craftiness, or other words, the ability to see it in other people. It's to be able to detect it. You know, the Bible says to be what? Wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We're not supposed to be reckless in our dealings, but we're supposed to be wise, redeeming the time as saints. Knowledge simply means information of sound character and then discretion means purpose to find out see what they can do is they equip even those who have little understanding and give knowledge to those who are spiritually immature the psalm said nineteen seven for you note takers making wise the simple the commandments of the lord it's good stuff so the purpose of it is to make a skillful and godly decisions for every area of our lives now how many of us in here need that skill Amen? Mm -hmm. Marriages, with your children, at work, everything that you're dealing, we need a skill to be able to make godly decisions to honor the Lord. Solomon says it's been right here 2,000 years. You guys neglected it. Oh boy. I encourage you, read the Proverbs 5 and 6 where he said, a wise man hears and increases learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb... And an enigma, the words of the wise and the riddles. He summarized it by basically saying that this makes people wise, spiritually mature, leads them closer to the knowledge and love of God when one investigates and explores its meaning. As I tell the truth, again, a proverb a day takes the foolishness away. As a carpenter has many tools to be better equipped for the job. And even cases where the unexpected comes up, they still have their tool belt to be able to diagnose the problem that they probably weren't originally prepared to deal with. Think of areas in our lives and times and situations in our relationships, because that's what life is all about, relationships, where we failed to have the right tool to make the right decision because we lacked what God has given us in his word all along. King Solomon, from the wisdom from God, wants us to be prepared And us to grow in our knowledge, understanding, and our skill to be able to live righteous and godly lives. Point number two, the foundation of knowledge. Verse seven, your Bibles. A big one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is big. Solomon says the fear of the Lord... That word beginning means chief, foundation, um, the cornerstone, you name it, the highest. If you think about the Alps, the mountains, he's saying the fear of the Lord is the mountaintop of knowledge, the mountaintop. Saints fearing anything that will disappoint or grieve his heart, hating what is evil, wicked, and unjust. Oftentimes, I work with young teenagers, and they just can't get over They think that if they surrender their life to the Lord, they can't have fun. If, if That God's commands are somehow shackles on their feet when it's the exact opposite. And what I tell them is, look, God's commandments are not a killjoy. They were given to us to prevent us from the things that will ultimately kill our joy. And many of them don't understand that Christ has come to free the burdens, not to put more on them. He was not a Pharisee. That's what they did. And so we have to understand that God's commandments are good for us. Saints, the Lord loves us so much he gave us commands to give us joy, happiness, peace, and love. Every relationship needs boundaries. Every road you drive on needs something to keep you from going off the cliff. The individual who made those was thinking about you because they didn't want you to get hurt. God's commands are a very exact same thing. Without those we're miserable. We're lost. From the womb, a baby tells you that they need boundaries. From the womb. That's why they need to be swaddled. They need to know that there's a boundary that they can't cross and that they're protected. Well, saints, God loves us so much that he gave us that in his righteous commands. It says that only a fool despises wisdom. Those who do not know God reject his worldview, and then the Bible says they reduce themselves to foolishness not even the proverb can save them if they don't know the Lord amen saints foolishness is me going to the doctor to fix my car we don't do that right the doctor is not going to be able to fix my car unless he's a jack of all trades Jesus is a jack of all trades amen see those who are foolish reject a godly worldview and thus are foolish themselves but the fear of the Lord do we have it Do we know what it is? It comes from being born again and being a part of God's family. And what I love most about God does often is he gives us earthly institutions that represent heavenly realities, is the family dynamic in every way shows us what it's like to be a part of God's family. We're closest to the people that we grew up with in our households. God allows us to see what sin does to family and what sin does to his heart in our own households. We see what it's like to be in broken fellowship with our own family members. And it's the same thing with the Lord. God gives us these pictures to better help you and I understand what it is like to be in a relationship with the Lord. The fear of the Lord, I believe you should pray for more of it. It changes. Relationships change people. I remember when I first met my wife years ago in college. And some of the guys I played college ball with out here when I come down to visit Like, man, you changed. What's wrong with you? You're not the same guy. That girl changed you, didn't she? Well, here's the truth. Yeah. Yeah, she did. Because here's the bottom line. Relationships impact us. I wasn't the same guy. I had a different relationship that was different than the rest of them. And because of the nature of that relationship, things changed. And in the same way that when you're born again and you have a relationship with the Lord, you should change too. Because of the nature of your relationship with the Lord. And that's what the fear of the Lord does. Amen? That's good stuff. Praise God. Verse 8. On your outline. Good stuff. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Walk not. Verse 8. Here's what it says. My son, hear the instruction of your father. And do not forsake the law of your mother. For they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains... About your neck. My son, over and over, speaking from a parent to a child, a parent to a child, a parent to a child. I don't want to say that it's impossible or you can't understand the love that God has for his children. But I believe that you can understand it a lot more once you have children. I know it wasn't until I had children that I was like a constant reminder that when I get out of line, I'm very impatient. I have to wonder, does God deal with me like that? He doesn't. I want to be like Jesus, but it's hard right now, right? Because I want you to listen right now and not do it again. But I don't even do that. But I love in Proverbs, it's really an instruction from a parent to a child in the same way that God is our father and gives us instructions as his children. And notice what he says. Hear the instruction of your father. Do not forsake the law of your mother. Since God gave a divine order in the home, whether you like it or not. I like to tell people, look, there can only be one head, two heads of the monster, no head, you're dead. So allow God divine order to to run in the home. It's for a reason. And so the mother and father responsible for raising godly seed. And if you guys don't do it now, you're going to regret it later. Solomon as a young boy was being instructed by his father and his mother to listen to what I'm saying, because what I'm saying is what God is saying. It's in the same way here. The command to listen to, fa- to, listen to fathers to instruct and not dis- disregard the law of the mother. The divine order of the home. Father has headship, overseer, priest, and main authority under Christ. Father is responsible for submitting to Christ's authority, loving the wife and raising children, and the instruction and admonition of the Lord for a reason. The mother has a divine role to submit to, to, submit to a godly husband and leadership, raise godly children, the ways of the Lord, nurture and care for them, help tend to the home, and be a helpmate, not a hellmate, to the father. Amen? <laughs> But remember this, the woman is by no means a second-class citizen. I saw this quote and I loved it. Men have the authority in the home, but the woman has the influence. The mother, more than the father, is the one who molds and shapes the little lives from day one because the father goes out to work all day and usually the mother has more time with them. But both are necessary in God's grand scheme of divine order. Both in here are giving instruction to the child. And those of you who don't have kids, it goes the same way in the marriage and your fellowship, where it be, to follow the divine order that God has, and this is for your good. When he says the instruction, it means warning and correction. For you note takers, for context, Job 5.17 says this, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. Our parents are given, a, given to us as a guide or instructor in daily living until we get to Christ. Our job is to get their hands and put them in the hands of Jesus. And by any cost necessary. Parents, we're not friends. Our kids are not the homie, right? It doesn't work like that. That's not how it goes. We have to love them enough to be parents and guide them in the way of what the Lord has given. I can't tell you guys how many parents... I end up counseling of what's going on now with the cell phones electronics. Oh boy. We've allowed that to parent our kids instead of us doing it ourselves. And it's leading to utter destruction in the home. Today I want to encourage parents to get it back in order. Is to stand forth on God's word and on Joshua 24:15 that says as for me and my house we're going to serve the Lord without cell phones. Amen? <laughs> We're going to honor God's word. And like I tell the kids in youth, Jesus does text Not that one, but this one, right? <laughs> that was a good one, huh? Amen. <laughs> this is the text Jesus speaks through right here. And the mother says this, do not abandon the teachings of your mother. Typically, the mother is at home with the children, not always, but it normally enforces the standard of teaching the father sets out. See, verse 7 tells us that only fools despise wisdom and understanding. I even get it with my kids. We're not perfect. Question all the time. And I have to ask them. This is where I have to bring things into perspective. Let me ask you guys. Have I ever asked you to do something that's contrary to the word of God? Well, no. Okay. Have I ever asked you to do something that was harmful to you? Well, no. Have I ever asked you to do something that's going to harm your walk with the Lord? Well, I think so. Well, show me a verse. Buck, stop there. Buck, stops there. I want it right here in the text. But honestly, if we ask ourselves as parents, husbands, wives, whatever role you play, can we honestly say that that's what we're following? Are we going back to what the Word of God says? Are we being redirected back to the final authority, the chief cornerstone? Because Jesus' words, he says, my words, that they are truth and they are life. Why would I want to follow anything else? Amen? So Solomon says, look, follow my instruction, follow your mother's instruction. He said, it's going to be a graceful ornament and chains about your neck, basically saying it is a badge of honor when you obey your parents, a badge of honor. But guess what? When the Bible says, parents, raise your children up in the way they should go, we need to also make sure we're going that way too. Oh. Intermission drink, amen? Amen. But the encouragement, again, repetition, repetitive instruction serves as a constant reminder in our thoughts that cannot be ignored. I remember the words of my grandma 30 years ago, still ringing in my head, son, you will never regret going to school and going to church. 30 years, 30 plus. Saints, often we store up words in songs, flashy sayings, famous lines from movies, Remember, whatever we store in our hearts, we end up living out in the world. I prefer to go by what the psalmist says in 1914. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. May we meditate on the word of God day and night. Verse 9 and 10. On your outline, treasure the word of God in your heart that you may not sin against him. Here's what verse, I'm sorry, verse 10, 11. Here's what 10 says in your Bibles. My son, again, that phrase, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like shale and whole like those who go down to the pit we shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us have one purse. Essentially, he's commanding his son not to go in the way of destruction. But what they're explaining here is almost like a robbery. Is that, hey, we want to come in? Come with us. Come join us. We're going to get all these things. And guess what? We can have one purse. We can split it amongst all of us. And he's being instructed to not... Go in that way when they entice you. Directed instructions from a parent to a child, heavenly instructions for earthly living. It's been said that a heavenly mind can be no earthly good, but I believe you can't be any earthly good until you have a heavenly mind, right? When he says if sinners entice you, he said that means to be seduced or persuaded. Have you guys, uh, I mean, maybe I'm the only one who figured it out, but... Have you guys noticed that temptation always makes sense? It always makes sense. You know what? It's okay. Jesus in the wilderness fasted 40 days, 40 nights, right? What was the first temptation? Who remembers? The bread. That makes sense. I'm hungry. And I can turn the bread, I can turn the stone to bread. That's a good idea. Good idea, but not God idea, Right? Temptation saints. Remember, growing up, I always thought Satan the pitchfork and horns. Right? That was the that was the imagery of Satan. Reality is more halo and wings. He masquerades as an angel of light. Even therefore, his ministers masquerade as ministers of righteousness. See, Satan does not come dressed in the blatant come sin, but dressed in the blatant come enjoy yourself. You deserve it. You work so hard. You're so precious. You might as well just come do it. And in that, that's the enticement, right? James 1, anyone who sins, where they come? They're enticed by their own desire, and then they choose to sin. It always makes sense. And Solomon, King David, knows that. He says, don't be seduced. When those who do not know God try to lure you, manipulate you to participate in ungodly activity, we must not give In And some of us are here like, well, I don't have any ungodly friends. I think I'm pretty good. I'm pretty solid. It's not just people. It's influence, music, TV shows, right? Well, how do you know when that may be? When you try to justify why you're doing it. Well, there's only five F-bombs. My limit's 10. Justifying, right? Justifying. We want to be right before the Lord, and these things do impact our relationship. Saints, we're not to play with sin or temptation. Many people like to dance around the borders. A man by the name of King David, supposed to be in war, wasn't at war, first compromise. Should have been sleeping, but was out at nighttime looking at the deck, right? Then even got a divine warning, I think it was Joash, that's Uriah's wife. Bring her to me anyway. It was just a progression. And you just keep justifying it. It's okay. It's not okay. We do not dance around temptation. It's been said that those who would not fall ought not walk in slippery places, right? Guess what? I can't fall if I'm not walking in a place where I can fall, right? Impossible. Saints, you have to put a safeguard around your holiness. Guess what's not a good idea? Being married and being drunk in a bar with a woman. It's not your wife. So guess what? Won't be in a bar. Won't be drinking. Not a slippery place for me. So each of us have to examine our walk with the Lord. Where's my slippery place? What area is it in? And most of the time, it's privately. So I want to warn you, no one falls publicly who hasn't fell privately first. It starts there, right? Who you are in your private corner will be who you are publicly in due time. What an awesome father King David is telling his son about these things. And even more so for you and I so that we can take heed to them as well. The word consent means to be positively inclined to respond to some authority. You guys know Amos 3 and 3 says, how can two walk together lest they be agreed? When we sin, we're agreeing with it. We're, yeah, I know what's wrong, but it's not that bad. All my friends are doing it. Right? I hear that so much all the time. And here's what I say. That phrase, it's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. is literally the slippery slope of compromise, which breeds chaos, and chaos opens the door for sin. We have to be sharp. Amen, saints? Amen. 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 Verse 11, when he says, hey, come with us. 12, it says, let us swallow them. 13, it says, we shall find all kinds of precious possessions. And then 14, cast in your lot among us. See, Satan wants you to be on his team. He wants you to play for him. He wants your affections. He wants your allegiance, and he wants to completely destroy your relationship with the Lord if he can't have you himself. See, the Bible says that Satan roams around like a prowling lion, seeking whom he can destroy, devour. He doesn't just want to just touch you. He doesn't want to just break an arm. He wants to destroy you in every aspect of your life. He's not your amigo. He doesn't want to be your friend, but he comes dressed as if he does. And that's why saints, you need a spirit of discernment. In your relationships, your partnerships, your marriages, how you raise your children, parents, who are your children hanging around? Who are they married? Influences. I told my daughter, there's no boys coming. Just like Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by me. No man comes to my daughter but by me. All right? Period. And that's that. And I'm willing, I said, I put my foot down, I said, I'm willing for the next four years to dance this dance. I'm standing in the gap. Okay? So make sure you make that correlation. So if you get to Jesus, then you'll get to me. And if you get to me, you might maybe have an opportunity at my daughter. Maybe. Maybe. But I'm standing in the gap. We have to be parents. I love our children enough. The Bible makes it very, very clear. But we have to be parents. Saints, the Bible says, do not be deceived. You know when it says do not be deceived, that means it's possible to be deceived? That's why it says do not be deceived. Well, 1 Corinthians 15, it says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. It's not that big of a deal. Yes, it is. Be careful of that type of thinking. They say, let us, let us, we, ours, team up with us. As I work with youth, I've been working for youth for like 13 years. And a lot of times you think the things that you tell them, they're not listening. And a lot of times they don't want to hear it. They have hardened hearts. And I know like whenever I teach the gospel, whenever I share the message of the cross, I know I have three types of people. The serious, the curious, and the furious, Okay. The serious are those who love Jesus. They want to hear the word. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. The curious are those they hear, "Eh, I want to hear more about this. Okay. And then the fierce are like, be quiet. The cross is offensive. I don't want to hear it. Those three are in every crowd, everywhere you go. Jesus saw them, every crowd he taught, he had those three. And I I understand that. But I've had so many furious ones, five, six, seven years later, call me and say, I just want to tell you, we had one this past weekend. My My brother could bear witness. I just wanted to tell you, thank you so much. I wanna tell you I love you. Thank you for telling me the truth when no one else would. Thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you for being a godly example to me when no one else will, and you are the most influential person that I ever had in my life. Whoa! I, I hadn't talked to him in years, because it didn't seem like that when we were going through it. It seemed like it went in one ear and out the other. And so you never know what kind of impact you're making when you share the gospel. Amen. Wow. You never know. And so I'll tell you this. The Bible says that we need to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the work for him is never in vain. Never. And so I get those all the time. And to God, be the glory. But we should not. Amen to that. But we should not walk on the counsel of the ungodly. Psalm 1 says that. Bad company ruins morals. Verse 15. I'll try to speed it up, but we'll see. You know, good thing about going verse by verse, you just pick off where you left off. You don't finish. Amen. <laughs> Word to the herd. Amen. <laughs> I like that. Verse 15: my son, again, third time. Third time, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. Once again, he says, my son, stay far away from them. Don't go in their direction. They're quick to act wickedly, ungodly, if you lay down with dogs, you're bound to get fleas. Some of you guys have dogs in your bed, I know. Hopefully you guys got the collar and everything, right? <laughs> but the reality is, is hey, there's only so long. I get this all the time, and we can, we can find ourselves justifying ourselves in the same way. I, I, I'm, I'm ministering to them. I'm hanging with them, but I'm not doing what they're doing. Well, try that with Lot's daughters, right? See, there's only amount of time that you can hang somewhere before somewhere begins to hang on you, right? You gotta be careful of where you're spending a lot of your time and where your primary influences are. Years from my grandma, years ago, five closest friends, show me who they are. I'll show you who you are eventually. Who are the five people that you hang around and are influenced by the most, and you can see the outline of where your passions and your heart are? That right there. Now praise God for you, mine are all pastors, amen. Praise God, they're going to hold me accountable, they're going to sharpen me, that I can go to for godly counsel, and that's only by the grace of God. And I have others I talk to as well, but my main are ones I do ministry with, and it's very, very helpful. See, we always need to examine what path we are on. See, all throughout scripture, we we get outlined with two paths, and, and only two paths. One is a Broadway, Broadway, big and wide, easy to go through, the masses are going through it. And Jesus said, very many many, many go that way and are destroyed. And then he talks about a straight and narrow gate. And it's narrow because it's only one way. And there's very few that find it, he says. But that's what he says. Straight is the gate that leads to life. And very few there be that find it. That's the way of Jesus. That's the way that all of us are commanded as he calls out and stands at the door and knocks. Solomon says, don't go Down the broad road. Saints, when we're disobedient to God, by causing harm to others, we cause harm directly to ourselves. The Bible says God is not mocked, and whatever a man sows, he shall reap. It's not karma. It's called the law of harvest. If you plant a seed, that's what's going to grow, and there's, there's no way escaping that. He says, even birds don't take bait when they can plainly see the trap, and we as people should be smarter than birds. Amen? <laughs> Bird sees the trap? Yeah, I'm not going there. I'm good. But oftentimes, we as Christians, we have our moments, right, where we know, ah, uh, all right, anyway, and bam, there you go, and we know we shouldn't have, but we want to be faithful to the Lord. Saints, here's a good rule of thumb for influence, Do these influences love Jesus as much or more than me? Does their influence draw me closer to Jesus or further away? One would say, my daughter told me. Well, neither. It's It's not not there nor here. I said, neutrality is a myth. You're either on one side or you're on the other. If it doesn't help you grow closer, then it's further away. Nice try. Thanks for playing, right? (laughs) We're not doing that. But the question is, does it draw me closer to Jesus further away, and if I were to follow their footsteps, how would my walk impact those around me? For those who are not saved, we need to have mission. What I call mission friendships, where our primary goal is to evangelize them to the Lord. Obviously, pray for wisdom, and uh, and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. I love the Apostle Paul tent making with Aquila and Priscilla. Right, he's making tents, but he's still preaching the gospel. That is a mission based. Relationship. On your outline, bad company ruins character. Can two walk together lest they be agreed? Remember, saints, those who would not fall down ought not walk in slippery places. This is very practical wisdom for everyday living. And you can pass it on to your children. And you can pass it on to your coworkers. They may get angry, but you can still pass it on to them. And I'll tell you this, it isn't always easy to share the wisdom that comes from Scripture. And it does make people feel uncomfortable. But I would encourage you to share it anyway. Oftentimes, I don't always, I'm not always faithful and obedient to share. But a couple days ago at Walmart, uh, the greeter, and so I totally forgot. You guys know I normally wear my witness wear, right? You know, you you wear it while you witness. And so I had my I Am shirt, and I Am was from 2 Peter that we are a priestly, you know, priestly nation. We're children of God. As I'm coming by, he asked me, and I always say, I'm blessed. He goes, you know what? I'm feeling a little blessed, too. And so I asked him, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by blessed? And he got so uncomfortable. You know, he gave that weird smile. Oh, wait, let me see your receipt. And he started checking my receipt. And I said, I mean, I'm blessed because I'm saved by the Lord. Where are you at? He said, oh, hey, nice shirt. And I walked away, not even thinking, my shirt had scripture on it. And I failed But he was uncomfortable. He was very uncomfortable. And saints, it happens all the time. But here's the question you have to ask yourself. Would you rather someone be comfortable on their way to hell or uncomfortable on their way to heaven? Amen? Amen. You choose. As Romans would say, that how can they call on whom they have not believed? And how can they believe on whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without you guys telling them the message of the cross, right? And so I encourage you guys, share the message, but don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. I'll briefly kind of go through this last point, but we'll we'll go from there. So verse 20 in your Bibles. On y'all accept Jesus' invitation to life. He stands at the door and knock. When you guys read Proverbs, they do a lot of parallel where it contrasts one path with another, one idea with another. The first one was the call of ungodly counsel. It's calling to you, it's speaking to you, and it's calling you to come in that direction. Now it's saying this is the call of wisdom, a.k.a. Jesus. Here's what it says. Verse 20, wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the openings of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Turn it my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. So basically personifies wisdom as a female. Really, it's, again, it's personified Jesus. And basically it's personified someone who's standing in the open square and basically calling out to everyone who's passing by. Hear my words. Hear what I'm saying. I have the fountain of life. I have eternal life that the one drinks, they will never thirst again. This is what it's personifying here in these verses of the picture of basically Jesus' call. And is that not what he did? Didn't John the Baptist come and say, I'm just a voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make way straight the way of the Lord? And that when he came, he did, he cried out, come to me. All of you are heavy laden and weary and I will give you rest for your soul for my yoke is easy. and My burden is light. He constantly opened out his hands with an open invitation. And I would have some people tell me, well, Josh, if if God is so good and he he loves us so much, then why isn't everybody saved? Because he's not going to break your neck to save you. That's why. Is that in order for love to exist, it has to have free will. You have to be able to choose to love back or reject. I remember I had one of, we do a Q&A after our chapel here at church. I mean, at the school. And I had one of the kids, he asked me, you know, God should just make everyone be saved. And I said, okay, let's pretend you have a girlfriend, right? You put a gun to her head and say, love me. You'd rather take that route? He said, well, no, that would be forcing, oh, oh. yeah. Saints, God's not going to force himself on us. As I like to say, he continues, like one big romance, he continues to give us flower, cards, and candy, right? In the form of creation, conscience, and the gospel. Over and over, he's reaching out, hey, here I am. Hey, here I am, I care for you. Hey, here I am, here's eternal life. Hey, here I am to pull you out of your despair, your, your confusion, your depression, your suicidal ideation, your pornography. Here I am. Here I am, but I'm not going to force it on you because love requires a will, and Jesus has given us that, and he's not ignoring anyone, and he's not playing where is Waldo, and he's not hiding, but he does stand at the door, and he knocks. Amen? Amen. He calls. On that line, through creation, we can see. Through our conscience, we can understand. He calls through the gospel. We can hear. I'll read the rest of the verses. 24, because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. Because you disdain all my counsel and have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently and they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord they would not have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with the fool with their own fancies for the turning of the way turning away the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them verse 33 but whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil, Solomon basically outlined judgment day. And said, at judgment day, I'm gonna remind you of all the times that I called out to you. When you did not want my knowledge, when you did not want my hand of peace, when you rejected my love, when you turned your back on me, I am ultimately gonna give you exactly what you wanted, which was a life apart from me. Hmm. And essentially, that's what's going to happen to every single one of us if we don't accept God's free gift in the person of Jesus Christ. See, saints, this is a reality. It's not a soap opera. It's not a TV show. The reality is, is that we're all going to die one day. And the Bible says in Hebrews nine twenty seven that's appointed for a man to die once and afterwards is the judgment. And it doesn't say there's a second opportunity after that. And so Jesus calls every single day you breathe in and you breathe out. It's a reminder that God's grace is still there for you to receive it. And guess what? He wills that none shall perish. And he proved it on the cross 2,000 years ago. And out of love, he demonstrated it by being the perfect sacrifice for you and I. And so if there's anyone in here today who is on the path of destruction, the broad road, Jesus says, come to me. If there's anyone in here today who has not professed and surrendered their life over to Jesus, Jesus says, today is the day of salvation. He says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And when you die, you will hear today, you will be with me in paradise. Is there anyone in here today where like I to make a public profession? I want to pray for you. Praise God, I see your hand. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? Jesus said, if you deny me before man, I'll deny you before my Father. But if you confess me before man, I will confess you before my Father and all the holy angels. Jesus died publicly for each and every one of us. Anyone else? Don't be ashamed. Paul's not ashamed of the gospel. We shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. Amen. Let's pray. Worship team, you come on up. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word and your Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much that you not only demonstrated it on the cross, but you wrote it down for us, that we can read it over and over and over. And that by reading it, Lord, you said that your word is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of our hearts and that nothing is naked, everything is naked before you. And you can see and you know all things. I thank you for my brother who raised his hand and made a public profession of his faith, Lord, and I pray that it is genuine and that he continues in the faith to prove to be your disciple indeed. Lord, we thank you for everyone who is here, Lord, and we pray that we were not just hearers today, that we take what we have learned by sitting at your feet and we take it home and we apply it to all of our daily living. And Lord, we pray that our lives will reflect your love, your grace, and your mercy. We thank you so much, Lord, and we just want to praise you. In Jesus' holy name, we pray. And the saint said,